Welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast. And now, it's your host, a man that once wore one white shoe and one black shoe in his basketball games just to be cool. And a man that secretly wanted to be Daniel LaRusso from The Karate Kid. Here they are. It's Johnny Sanchez and Elias Israel. Matt, was that you? Was that you saying, yeah, you wanted to be Daniel LaRusso for real? Yeah, man, I, it's, listen, I've expressed my feelings and concerns about this before. I didn't want to be him like, man, I wish I had that guy's life. I felt like I could have done a better job at being Daniel LaRusso. Like, I... I feel like I legit had martial arts training in Taekwondo, ATA, big shout out, and in Aikido. Like, I came up on martial arts, and to watch Daniel LaRusso, Ralph Macchio, no offense, Ralph, but come on, toughen up, man, grow some tougher skin. I felt like he needed to change his diaper the whole movie. <laughs> he did whine a lot. He did. Yeah. <laughs> How's he going to be the guy who walks away with the girl every movie? That, nah, man, come on. He was always negative in everything he said and all of his lines at first, you know, with his mom, with Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, and Miyagi was beating up the wrong guy. He should have beat up Daniel. Like, (laughs) make him tougher. That's what this kid needs. But you're still a big fan of him on the show, or no? Nay, negative. I'm not. He He's ruined it for me, I feel like, possibly for the rest of my life. Ralph Macchio, I'm sure you're a good, integrous person. I'm sure you're the salt of the earth, but you're not the right guy for this part. <laughs> <laughs> That block he did is like, is a mosquito attacking you? Is that what is that what you're blocked from? Because that's not gonna that's not gonna wave off a punch. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and and, and let me let me just say this: I'm not trying to be a tough guy because if a mosquito attacked me right now, it would defeat me. Anyone would defeat me. You could take me down very easily. I'm not a tough guy. I'm just saying back then I was a better man for this job. Speaking of a better man for the job, whose job was it to put the correct color of shoes on you? <laughs> This was at a time in the 80s when everyone was being wild and crazy with their clothes and trying to be different. They had the big hair. The girls had all the big hair with the Aquanet. Well, my thing, I was always trying to be different. In fact, at that time, I also I had a permed mullet in my hair. (laughs) I had the long hair in the back with the perm in it. Uh I got that easy going. (laughs) So I thought... Well, let me do this with my shoes. I was always trying to be different. So the Reebok high tops, they were really popular, guys and girls at that time. Uh They had just come out, and so I had a pair of black ones and a pair of white ones. Mm. I took one black and one white and wore it to the game. (laughs) And and my coach, he wasn't too happy about it, but he had to put me in the game. He needed me, and so I had to go in the game with this white and black shoe on, and so he didn't like it. It sounds like a hardship story of one of those ones like that. That poor young man. Look at him. He doesn't. He can't even afford two correct shoes. Yeah. He's got, he's got I that. missed a shot, and people clap anyway just to build my esteem. Come on, let's show him that we. Let's show him he can in life. <laughs> oh, good try, good try, good try. The irony is later on, both Johnny and I uh, worked at a shoe store together. <laughs> Yes, we did. He kept yes, trying to steal. He kept trying to steal one black shoe so he could match up. <laughs> Hey, uh, speaking of basketball, we've got a great show today. We've got Arkansas Razorback legend Scotty Thurman. He will be coming up on the show. But beforehand, and your top five. Top five. We have today the top five basketball movies of yep. all time. In honor of Scotty Thurman being on the show, we're going to talk a little bit basketball here. Elias, now I know you're not the biggest basketball fan, but you've probably seen some of these movies. For example, the first movie on our list, and these are in no particular order, is the movie Hoosiers. It's about a failed college coach, Norman Dell, who was played by Gene Hackman. He gets a chance at redemption when he is hired to direct the basketball program at a high school in a tiny Indiana town after a teacher 
pitcher Barbara Hershey persuade star player Jimmy Chitwood to quit and focus on his long-neglected studies. Dale struggles to develop a winning team in the face of community criticism for his temper and also his unconventional choice of assistant coach shooter Dennis Hopper, who was a notorious alcoholic. Now, this movie was very popular. Did you ever see that one? I did not. I did see the title of it. I'm familiar with the movie, you know, just by hearing it. Like, I think I'd know it if we walked into a Blockbusters video. If we could find a Blockbusters video, <laughs> I would be able to identify it. But um, but it, I never, it's probably I never saw stuck, it. probably stuck in your VCR right now, then, if you're still going to Blockbuster. <laughs> I still I still rent the old-fashioned way from Netflix. They just drive by and throw a, uh, they, they throw a DVD at me. <laughs> I'll tell you this, though. I like these kind of movies. I just, you know, like I said, I was involved in, like, uh, different kinds of sports. Like, I I love skateboarding. I love martial arts. I love that kind of stuff. But I I just was never good. I was never talented in playing basketball. So I never kind of, like, tuned on to a basketball movie. It always ended up with a jammed finger for me. I don't know why you guys throw the ball so hard. Like, you pass it so hard. I'm on your team. You don't have to do that. Don't jam my fingers. Oh, my goodness. Here's one. It's called Semi-Pro. This has a little uh, character named Will Ferrell in it. Did you see this movie? Oh, I love it, man. In fact, I have a T-shirt in my closet right now that says Semi-Pro on it. I love this movie. The storyline is 1976. Um, Jackie Moon, who is Will Ferrell's uh, character, he's a famous singer, but really has just got one song that's real famous, but it's, it's made him this icon, and he's always wanted, he's had this dream to be an NBA player, so he buys the actual team and he's playing they're trying to win and um and it's it's just a really really funny really funny movie he wrestles a bear in it like one of the antics is he wrestles a bear and i happen <laughs> to know this because that bear is like a celebrity here in southern california it was up on big bear mountain which is right up the hill from san bernardino and right after that shot like a month after they filmed that that bear actually killed somebody would you do that Lots would of- would you even like on a movie set? Would you, if that was written in, do you think that you would get into a cage with a bear? Uh, no, man. No, no, not for a farm club. But see, that, that tells you how desperate, you know, the owner was in this movie played by Will Ferrell to get people in the seats. He was willing to do anything. I love the part where he offers the fake check. He like he prints out the big check. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. Like, what is it? Ten thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. I can't remember. Or maybe a hundred. I can't really remember. And yeah. the guy that actually hits the free throw at half court, he didn't expect anybody to be able to hit it. And the guy that hits it is like this stoner guy, like hey, this hippie guy with no shirt on. Like, dude, you know that kind of guy. Yeah. And uh, he tries to go cash that big fake check at the bank, <laughs> the big huge one. <laughs> I love that movie. It had a lot of stars in it, too. Andre 3000. It also had Woody Harrelson in it. Love that. Which leads us to our next one. Woody Harrelson is in two movies on this list. Also very popular, the movie White Men Can't Jump with Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. It's Billy Hull, who's Woody Harrelson, is a white basketball hustler who banks on black players underestimating his skills on the court. So when he pulls over one on Sidney Dean, who's played by Wesley Snipes, his victim sees a lucrative opportunity and they become partners in the con game playing their trade across the courts of los angeles meanwhile billy has to keep one step ahead of mobsters to whom he owes money while staying on the good side of his jeopardy obsessed wife that was played by rosie perez this was a really well put together movie lots of action lots of comedy lots of one-liners i love this movie well let's do this let's say um if you love it on a scale of one to ten ten being the best on this what would you give this I would probably give this movie like an eight, maybe an eight and a half. It's just funny. And it had some cameos by some famous basketball players that were these basketball legends as they went across America trying to hustle people. So, And a lot of it was played there in California on Venice Beach. They played yep. there. So, yeah, it was just a really good movie. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it, too. And I'll tell you what, like if you were from our generation, our era right, right now, if you didn't see this movie, I don't know where you were because this was the movie to see. I loved it because I secretly had a crush on Rosie Perez at that time. (laughs) 
I had, a, I had a crush on two two childhood crushes. There's Rosie Perez, and then there's whoever played Joe. Remember the girl from uh, Joe on Facts of Facts Life? Facts of Life, yeah. yes. Blair was supposed to be the one that everyone was supposed to have a crush on. I liked Joe. She was the motorcycle fixing kind of, uh, you know, tomboy. Yes, I liked her too. I, she was awesome. I did like her. <laughs> I guess it'd be weird if I said I had a crush on Mrs. G. You know, uh, I didn't. I didn't. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody liked Tootie. I kind of had a crush on Tootie for a little while. I'll admit that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna say I didn't. I'm not gonna say I didn't. <laughs> but Blair was the one for me, though. I think. <laughs> I have my eye on Natalie too. You know. <laughs> All right, on this next one, a lot of women may want to go watch this after they hear who's in it. Channing Tatum, a young Channing. Coach Carter, played by Samuel L. Jackson. That's the name of it, Coach Carter. Uh, Welcome 19... back, Carter. Not quite. Oh. <laughs> in 1999, Coach Carter returns to his old high school in Richmond, California, to get the basketball team into shape. With tough rules and academic discipline, he succeeds in getting the players on a winning streak. But when their grades start to suffer, he locks them out of the gym and shuts down their championship season. Now, when he's criticized by the players and their parents, he sticks to his guns, determined that they excel in class as well as on the court. That's the premise of the movie. Very good. And I think he was nominated for some awards, Samuel L. Jackson, not Channing Tatum. <laughs> but <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson was nominated for a lot of awards for his performance of Coach Carter, Ken Carter, in that, which was based on a true story. Really good movie. Yeah, that was good. I, I remember seeing that. That's always the story I like to see, where the you know, kind of comes in and takes over. I don't know. I bet you haven't seen this next one, though. Yeah, so the next one on our list, Johnny, maybe you saw this one. I, I don't even remember this being talked about, but Glory Road. It sounds like maybe The Road to Heaven. Is that what's, was that what's going on here? <laughs> no, this is a good movie, though. I'm not a big fan of the guy that played the lead in it, Josh Lucas. He reminds me of Matthew McConaughey, who I'm also not a big fan of because of the way he talks. It gets on my nerves. Oh. And I know oh. I'm going to get a lot of backlash on that. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of most people probably do like that. It gets on my nerves to hear that all the time. And this guy kind of is in that realm for me. But the movie itself, really great movie. All right, all right, all right. good idea of reading this off. After being appointed the new coach of the 1966 Texas Miners, oh, the Miners, like the Boxite Miners there in Arkansas, Don Haskins, played by Josh Lucas, who Johnny loves, decides to build up a team based on talent rather than race. Okay? The conservative townsfolk balk at the new racially diverse lineup, despite the fact that the team is winning all their games. When black players like Bobby Joe Hill, played by Derek Luke, and team captain Harry Flournoy, played by McCod Brooks begin to dominate on the court with flashy moves and racial tension increases jeopardizing the future of the team. If you haven't yeah. seen it, go see Glory Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very emotional, inspiring, especially of a time uh, when people of color weren't given the respect that they deserved in sports. And so you will like that movie. Lots of emotion into it. It's a good movie, though. Yeah, oh, I'll give it a try. Now, it a this next one I have to talk about. My son and I love this movie. My son, especially this one's primarily geared for kids, but it's a good family movie. If you haven't seen it, it's called Like Mike. 14-year-old hoops-loving Calvin Cambridge, played by Lil Bow Wow back when he really was little. He has a dream to be a famous basketball player to mix it up among the NBA's greatest, but in a game dominated by giants with unparalleled athletic abilities, Calvin's diminutive stature and limited skills make this a far-off fantasy, or is it? After he laces up a mysterious pair of old sneakers inscribed with the faded initials MJ, uh -oh. Calvin makes the leap from playground hijinks to NBA superstardom. So, obviously, this is a little bit of a fantasy movie, which is fun. It's, mm -hmm. But it's got some big names in it, too. Morse Chestnuts in this is Tracy Reynolds. And Jonathan Lipnicki is in it as Murphy. And I believe he's the same kid that played with the Tom Cruise movie, Jerry Maguire. Oh, cool. So... Lil Bow Wow's in it. How big is Bow Wow now? Is he still going by Lil? 
<laughs> is he meeting no, Bow Wow? It, he's not. He's just he's going by Bow Wow. I wonder if, uh, you know, if he's upset about this current rap uh, situation where there's a lot of rappers now that go by Lil. You know, Lil Pump, Lil, like there's a bunch of Lils in the thing. And I wonder if they feel like, you know, Ice, in our generation, it was Ice. There was Ice Cube, there was Ice T, you know, there's um, Icy Smooth, Vanilla Ice. I don't know who Icy Smooth is, but if that wasn't a rapper, it should have been. <laughs> and then we also had people like Fat Joe, the Fat Fat boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the fat boys. Fat boys are back. Remember the human beatbox? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And ladies and gentlemen, that's not body shaming. That's literally what they called themselves. They yeah. called themselves the fat boys. And they rapped about food and their love for food, their passion for food. <laughs> it gets me choked up. Well, this next one was huge with kids, and in fact, they are making a sequel to this, which we'll talk about. Space Jam, that's right. Yes. Danny DeVito played Swackhammer, an evil alien theme park owner. He needs a new attraction at Moron Mountain <laughs> when his gang, the Nerdlux, heads to Earth to kidnap Bugs Bunny, who was played by Billy West, and the Looney Tunes. Bugs challenges them to a basketball game to determine their fate. The aliens agree, but they steal the powers of NBA basketball players, including Larry Bird and Charles Barkley. So Bugs gets some help from superstar Michael Jordan. This is one of the best movies. My son still loves it to this wow. day. He's 23. But they are actually making a sequel to this, and LeBron James is going to be the star of this film. Wow. I didn't know that. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think the whole COVID thing has stopped production on it, and it's kind of hindered it, but I probably would have already been completed by this point. But yeah, Michael Jordan <laughs> had him build a whole tent for him so that he would not lose any practice time. And NBA players came onto the set to where they had a big, huge tent, professional basketball, with air conditioning and everything built on the set. So all these NBA players would come and work out and play basketball with Michael Jordan while he was shooting the film. That's how bad they wanted Michael Jordan in this film. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's kind of like what we do is whenever we're hired for something, we have them put fake microphones into our, our rooms. And so that way we won't get out of the rhythm of we just yep, kind of yep, talk on the do. mic, talk on the mic. Hey, I am excited about seeing this come back. That's exciting, man. I like it. We'll see how it goes. No release date on it yet, though. Yeah, I will say, um, since we're talking about basketball movies, I saw one that's not on this list, but I think I need to bring it up because I really liked it a lot. I just saw on a plane this uh, movie <laughs> called The Way Back with Ben Affleck, and it is a basketball movie, and he struggled with alcoholism in it, and it was just, oh my gosh, you talk about pulling on every one of your feelings. It was yep. so good. Yeah, and that's a movie that came out in theaters right when COVID hit. So it didn't do very well because of that. It really hurt the sales because there was a lot of Oscar buzz for Ben Affleck possibly in this movie before it had come out. I still haven't seen it. I've heard a lot of good things about it, though. It was so good. Hey, John, I don't know if you can hear that. Do you hear? The, some, it sounds like someone's calling into the, uh, the hotline. Oh, I hear something. Let's pick up. Uh, hello, this is Ralph Macchio. <laughs> oh boy! Hey, listen, listen. We don't want any trouble, Ralph. I was just saying that I, pr I probably, I felt like I could have been the character that you were trying to play. Challenge you to a fight. I don't think this is Ralph Macchio. I don't really think it is. Let's just hang up on him. My goodness. He's getting a little cocky now. He's doing so well financially. Yeah, let's uh, go back to that car dealership. <laughs> Listen, I live in Southern California. I'll drop by the dealership, buddy. Oh, my gosh. Guys, don't go away. Coming up, we've got Arkansas Razorback basketball legend, Scotty Thurman. Life and Laughs Podcast is brought to you in part by Dead and Buried, Inc. Building a brand is exciting, but there is a lot more that goes into looking professional and staying consistent online than we tend to think. Dead and Buried, Inc. are here to help you complete your project by providing top quality screen printing, advertising material, and marketing services for bands, brands, and businesses of all sizes. With low minimums, fast turnaround times, and the ability to customize anything, they are there to help you start to finish. So visit Visit deadandburiedinc.com. That's deadandburiedinc.com. Welcome to the stage, Cedric the Entertainer. Said entertainer, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what up? Shout out to my boy Johnny Sanchez. 
radio host, DJ, actor, provocateur. <laughs> What's up, Johnny? Remember, man, at the Memphis uh, Grizzly Laker game, had a cool time. We had a lot of laughs. Uh, big up to you, man. Congratulations on your new podcast. Everybody check that out. Life and Laughs. Life and Laughs is going to be the new podcast. I know I'll be checking it out. Hey, Johnny, do your thing. Johnny Sanchez. Um, and now, two men that are totally full of... <coughs> I mean, here's Johnny and Elias. On the Celebrity Hotline is a former college and professional basketball player named to the SEC All-Freshman Team back in 1993 and was first-team All-SEC in 1994 and in 1995. He's considered to be one of the greatest players in school history at the University of Arkansas, where he hit the shot that helped the Razorbacks win their only national championship. He is currently the head coach at Parkview High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. Please welcome to Life and Laughs podcast, Razorback Basketball legend, Mr. Scotty Thurman. Yes. Yeah. How are you guys doing, man? Doing good. 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 so thankful that you are on the show today. And uh, have you gotten used to people calling you coach yet? You probably get called coach more than anything nowadays. Uh, well, I've gotten used to it after being on staff at the university for the last nine years and three of those years being an assistant coach. You know, it's kind of just one of those things you just get used to because that's what the players refer to you as. And mm-hmm. now that I'm actually a high school coach, like you said, you hear it more so now probably than anything because now everybody calls you that, whether it's the principal secretary or the girls' basketball coach and the cafeteria workers or the custodial workers. Yeah. I mean, that's what everybody calls you by. So it's kind of the name you just get used to. Hey, we got to wish you two a happy birthday here. You got a birthday on the 10th. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, man. Thanks in the day's time and the climate. You know, you're very thankful to reach them. You know, I don't really celebrate them anymore. <laughs> I'm just thankful that I get the opportunity to see them. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us, what was life like growing up in Louisiana for you? Oh, man, it was good. You know, grew up in a relatively small home, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. Uh, I'm the youngest of four. Uh, wow. I have a sister and two older brothers, but we all, you know, were very athletically inclined. And, you know, my parents were both deceased now, but my parents were hardworking parents. My dad worked offshore for 20 years on the oil well. He was an yeah. oil counter for a shell oil company, and then my mom was a social worker. She worked there in the community doing a lot of different things from working at battered women's shelters to working with some of the mental retardation kids. And um, I got an opportunity to be able to see and be exposed to a lot of different things as a young man. And I think that's kind of what drove me to coaching because I never really had any intent on being involved in it. But, you know, once you start doing it, you realize all the other things that are being required of you. So I think I probably learned a lot of those things in my childhood in Louisiana and you know, trying to do everything I can to apply those things to not only my everyday life, but also in my work with the young people. What part of Louisiana are you from? Ruston, Louisiana, where Louisiana well, Tech is located. Yeah, I know Ruston. Ruston's tucked right there between Monroe and Shreveport. Correct. Yeah. Elias travels the country quite a bit as a comedian, so he's been a little bit of everywhere, I think. <laughs> okay. Do you still have a love for Cajun food coming from Louisiana, or did you ever growing up there? Well, I grew up in North Louisiana, but my mom from South Louisiana. She was from Franklin to Louisiana, which is about 50 miles south of New Orleans and about, if I'm not mistaken, about 50 minutes, not necessarily in terms of mileage, but just due to the route you have to travel from Baton Rouge. So I'm definitely accustomed to, you know, the gumbo, the boudin, the, <laughs> yeah. the Cajun food in terms of the, craw- the crawfish balls and things like that. So yeah, I definitely uh, have an acquired taste. The only bad part of it is li- living in Arkansas. You become very judgmental of other people's uh, southern dishes because they don't taste like you're used to. You know, you seem to find a problem with them. <laughs> right, right. Hey, when did you find your love for the game of basketball? I found my love for the game of basketball at a very early age. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a basketball goal in the backyard of my home, you know, growing up in Louisiana. And back then, that was when, you know, everybody played outside. You didn't really have all these nice facilities that people are building right. and constructing now. So you were forced to go outside. And for me, that was where I got 
pep talk, you know, beat up, challenge, <laughs> all those things that go along with being a little brother. But then on top of that, you know, his friends would also beat up on me as well. So I was very <laughs> excited when I got the opportunity to participate against kids that were my age because I felt like I had the upper hand due to the fact that I spent so many years chasing my brothers around and trying to learn how to play not only basketball, but baseball, which was my first love. Really? Uh, but just learning how to compete and, and be in a, a different environment. When was it that you quit playing baseball and just focused on basketball? I quit playing baseball going into my ninth grade year. Back then, I had a high school coach. He was a head varsity baseball coach, but he was also the ninth grade head basketball coach. And back then, they had what they call Legion Ball. I don't even know if they still have it, but it was this thing called Legion Ball, which was basically the summer ball that the high school teams used to kind of keep their team together and give them a chance to grow together, learn together, play together. And at that time, when I enrolled in the ninth grade, he wanted me to commit to playing Legion Ball in the summer versus AAU basketball in the summer. And that particular summer was just probably not the, the right one for him to challenge me to that because my AAU basketball team was getting ready to go to the Canary Islands. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had to make, make the decision of whether or not I wanted to stand on the pitcher's mound in Louisiana in 100-degree weather mm. or go to the Canary Islands with my friends and be able to have that experience. So at that time, I didn't I didn't really hesitate. I was just like, hey, I'm not going to be able to play Legion Ball this summer, and the rest is kind of history. In 1994, of course, you helped lead the Razorbacks to a 31-3 and record and their only ever national championship. Now, there are murals of you today in the halls at Bud Walton Arena, hitting what became to be known as that shot hurt all around Arkansas, and there's memorabilia and the trophies there. Do you ever just go by, especially when you were coaching there at all, and just reminisce about those moments? Not really. I mean, obviously, when I worked there, I had an opportunity to walk by it a lot because, you know, that's where our offices were prior to construction of a new practice facility. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really walk by it and, and, and admire it too much. But every now and then, we'd have fans who would come in town that would want to see it and want to take photos and want to try to do some things, you know, around that because those were great moments for them. Yeah. For me, anytime the fans approached me about it, of course, you know, I wanted to go ahead and take photos and be uh, a part of that. But at the same time, you know, when the time came for me to have the opportunity to just bask in it, I really don't too much get in it too much. Uh, but I am very uh, proud of, you know, what I was able to accomplish as a player there and along with my teammates. But it's not something that I pretty much wake up every day being that concerned about. I just try to use those experiences and that platform to be able to try to get my student athletes currently to be able to learn from it. Speaking of teammates, you and Corliss Williamson, both of you were incredible players and friends during your time at Arkansas. Talk about your relationship with Corliss then and today. Oh, man, it's pretty much the same. I mean, we got an opportunity to meet each other going into AAU basketball when I was 16 and he was 16. He turned 17 before I did, so he was able to play in some different events, even if they were 19 and under, which I maintain kind of playing with my age group. But, you know, we forged a relationship back before we went to the University of Arkansas, and still today, you know, we're still friends. We still talk pretty much two or three times a week, if not more. Uh, we were on the phone just last night. We looked up, and we had been on the phone for like an hour and 45 minutes. And, you know, tried to get off, but you know, that's been like my brother. We've had an opportunity to grow together as young men, and it's kind of odd because when you're young, you never really see yourself being friends with someone for so long. I think you just kind of just assume it's going to be that way. And fortunately for me, it has been that way. We really consider ourselves more like brothers than friends. Um, our families are close. Uh, his parents were close with my parents prior to them deceased, and our kids go to the same school. Now my 10th grade daughter and his two sons, one's in the ninth grade and one's a junior, they all go to school there, and they're very close. So it's something that we kind of take pride in, just knowing that not only are we close, but our kids are that same way. That, as fans, we love hearing that. And I have kind of a mutual friend there. Corliss's brother-in-law, Paul White, and I, we went to school and grew up and played basketball in junior high and high school together. Shared wow. lockers and, and all of that. I, I love Paul. Yeah, Paul's a great guy. And now that you've mentioned that, Paul's younger brother, John, works with me as my associate head coach at Parkview High School. So uh, yeah. it's kind of a family environment. Do you have a maybe a funny or a good Corliss Williamson story from either back in the dorms or, or traveling, maybe even today. What's something people may not know about Corliss? Oh, man, I've I probably got a ton. I've got to pick from <laughs> one. Let's see. Um, yeah. <laughs> There was a time where Corliss was really trying to find himself, you know, back when we were in school after our freshman year and came back to school with these little twists in his head and he had a nose <laughs> ring. And, oh, yeah. uh, he had a nose <laughs> ring and he had the earring. 
Coach Richardson was not one who really took too kindly to, you know, people changing up their makeup or you know, wearing earrings or nose rings. So, you know, he came to me and he said, he said, Scotty, I need you to have a conversation with Corliss and tell him that he needs to change that hairstyle and he needs to get rid of those earrings and the nose ring. And I'm like, Coach, I can tell him. But uh, for me, it's only going to probably be a little bit of an argument or a confrontation. And I said, you know, I really feel like that's something you should do. He said, well, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. So... I go and I tell Coach, hey, man, Coach told me to tell you to take the nose ring out and get rid of the earring and then cut your hair. And he kind of looked at me and was like, you serious? I was like, yes. I said, he told me that he was not asking me, but he was telling me. I said, so the only news I can give you is probably that he wants you to do it so that he doesn't have to tell you. And he just kind of laughed. And the next thing he showed up to practice the next day and he had cut it, but he left a little bit of it in his head, which is kind of how the core lead came about. Yeah. And that's with the reverse part in his head and before I knew we had little kids coming to the games with the reverse part and everybody was wearing the core lid and before I know it I said hey I'm responsible for helping you you know reinvent yourself with the core lid <laughs> I love that. I never knew about the uh, nose ring part, though. That's interesting. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, speaking of Coach Richardson, tell us what he's meant to your life as a player, maybe now as a coach. Uh, very instrumental in a lot of different ways. You know, one from how I prepare in the morning. You know, I wake up every morning about 5 o'clock, whether there's an alarm set or not. And back when we practiced 6 in the morning, I thought that that was the most hideous thing someone could do. But looking back, I realized that he was trying to prepare us for what life is going to bring forward in terms of just having the determination and work ethic. And the one thing that I remember that he always said was you're only good at your last game. So for me, when I coach my teams or when I'm trying to prepare for something that I have to do, just remember this needs to be my moment to be great at it because it could very well be my last one. So yeah. I've always to approach everything I do with a certain seriousness and determination, and he's definitely the reason for that. I've learned a lot from him in terms of just from the work ethic standpoint to, you know, having that chip on your shoulder, wanting to prove to people that, you know, you are a quality coach or, you know, a good teacher or whatever it is your profession is. And every time I'm coaching my team and, you know, we've got practice here in an hour, I'm always thinking about some of the things that he shared with us the things he did with us to try to see if I could take that and, and, and pass that on to my group of young men. Do you still talk to Coach Richardson today very often? I, I hadn't talked to him as much in the last year since I've been here. But prior to, I was living in Fayetteville. You know, he was around quite a bit. So mm -hmm. you know, we got a chance to visit with him quite a bit. have not spoken with him in a little while, and that's really probably my fault. But we have you know, managed to stay in contact over all these years. I've had the privilege of being able to introduce him uh, when he was a solid on awards winner. I had the opportunity wow. to spend a lot of time with him in terms of, you know, just being a former player of his and us getting a chance to talk about basketball or talk about different life experiences. So, you know, he's definitely been kind of a pillar in terms of not only my life, but the life of the, a lot of other student athletes that I played with. Sure. Talk about your experience going to the White House after winning the national championship with then president and Arkansas native Bill Clinton, because you were living like a rock star after that, I could imagine. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's something that, you know, I don't think I could ever really be able to express properly because when I got the opportunity to speak in the Rose Garden after winning it, me being somewhat of a public speaker, you know, I was kind of afraid. But then when I finally got a chance to step to the mic, you know, that was probably my most memorable moment, you know, making the shot to win it, playing in the game, all those things were great. But when you get an opportunity to stand where very few people have been, much less get the opportunity to grab the microphone and say a few words, that's something for me that, that I'll take to my grave being proud of. Was there like a meal or a dinner? What all happened when you went to the White House? Well, it was mainly a tour. We got an okay. opportunity to go and see how the House operated in terms of the House of Representatives. We got a chance to peep in on the, on the Senate. They didn't feed us a meal. That was the only thing that I wasn't very happy about. They did give us some hors d'oeuvres. You know, we had some more d'oeuvres, but we left out starving. <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> but, but, it, but it was a good experience. Got a chance to meet some lifelong friends there who I didn't know prior to that trip that were kind of hanging out with us as just some supporters of the program. And, you know, I've been able to you know maintain those relationships. So when I think about just that experience for me, it, it's more than just, you know, me speaking in the Rose Garden of having one. It's the relationship like he and now Bill Clinton, you know, he writes me still from time to time. He sent me memoirs from time to time. When I got the job at Parkview, he sent me this oh, nice. book of memoirs. 
wanted me to, to read over it. It's something that I've often, you know, not necessarily talked about, but just often thought about, like, why me? You know, it didn't have to be me, but the fact that it is, I just try to cherish those moments, man, and try to share that with my kids and people who will probably never have the opportunity to be exposed to that. So incredible. Well, how long did it take you to come down from the hive winning that championship? Man, to be honest, I'm still on it. I was so many different people growing up playing basketball, whether it was Walter Berry, Chris Muller, Billy Owens, Derek Coleman, Steve Alford, Keith Smart. Dallas Comagees, Tyrone Corbin. I've been so many different people. Wayman Tisdale when he was at OU. You know, growing up watching CBS Sports and seeing all of the, the players who came before me and having the chance to be the guy in the backyard, emulating those guys, five, four, three, two, one, doing my countdown and making a shot. I was missing it, but just having the thought that hopefully one day I'll get the opportunity to do it. And then when you finally do get to experience it, it's kind of like it's surreal because yeah. you didn't know it was going to happen. So, like, for me, every day, I don't really wake up thinking about it, but obviously I live here in the state of Arkansas still, and I'm approached by someone almost every single day that I don't want to talk about that particular season, that particular moment, or something as it relates to that team. And normally, no matter what is going on in my day, when I'm approached by people with it, you know, it just sheds light on how many people that I was able to have a positive impact on. And I guess that's why I walk around pretty much with a smile every day, just knowing that it didn't have to be me. But I'm thankful that it was. I think that's so incredible. And it's probably a great teaching moment for your kids that you coach now, especially at the high school age, is that one moment in time can make a huge difference in your life for a positive reason or a negative reason. It can change your whole life. And fortunately for you, you blessed all of us Arkansans with the national championship on that team and the memories that you've left us we are so so thankful for that well, I'm thankful that I was able to participate on such a great team man I'm thankful that you know people still remember me for that and you know, a lot of times I get asked how does it feel when people walk up to you and they want to talk to you about that year and I, I've always looked at it this way because I had to explain this to my kids once when they were both younger and people were approaching us in a restaurant trying to eat and I said you have to look at it this way I could have missed the shot and nobody ever wanted to talk to me mm-hmm. or I could have very well just not even have been on a team that was fortunate enough to be that good to get there and we wouldn't even be having a discussion I yeah. said so I at it as it's a blessing and instead of me looking at it as though this person is approaching me at an improper time I just look at it as hey this is what it's all about you know when you grow up in a small town and you set goals for yourself and you try to give yourself an opportunity to do things the right way obviously due to the teachings that you've learned from your parents the coaches the teachers and all the people that poured into you this is the result of it you know I'm not any better than any kid that's living in any other small town I'm just a young man that had goals and set them and was fortunate enough to have those goals and the determination meet the opportunity. Well, after winning a championship and making it back to the championship game the following year, you decided to leave school early to play professionally and you ended up playing overseas for many years. Right. And it's also been said, I read this too, that you are considered the best foreign player of all time in the Macedonian Basketball League. So where all did you play overseas? And I played a lot of different places. I played in Italy. I played in Yugoslavia. I played in Lebanon. I played in Cyprus. I played in Amman. Jordan and normally when you're in any of those countries depending on if you're in the European League you travel abroad so I played in places like Singapore Lithuania Budapest Hungary just to name a few uh, the Philippines I'm not sure if I mentioned that but I've gone to Dubai you know I've been to Dubai like six times Wow! and it's amazing people talk about Dubai like it's something new and I tell people I was going to Dubai before 2000 Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know but it's just you know the game of basketball is taking me so many different places and blessed me and my family with opportunities and and a life that you know a lot of people won't get a chance to experience and for me you know thinking about coming out of school early and you know things didn't work out the way that you know we had all expected and hoped but I look at it this way, getting the opportunity to go and play abroad gave me a completely different education than what I would have ever been able to experience being in countries where you may be the only person speaking English or going to countries realizing that they have people that speak English as well and they have American schools and they watch American sports and just having the opportunity to, to be around so many different type of cultures and different type of people. You know, you may have an American who's living in a country not because that's their residence, but because they're over there for work or what have you, this kind of shed a different light on just 
life itself and how this game is able to take you so many different places. I think now if you look at the NBA and you see how global it is, um, that's something that I was able to realize starting in 97 because when I first got on the plane to go to Yugoslavia, I really was like, you know, where am I going? <laughs> like, yeah, get there and you start hearing about the Dino Raja, the Drazen Petrovic's and all these guys who played there that were great players who eventually got an opportunity to come to the NBA even though Drazen's was, was short-lived due to the death, but it's always been good basketball in Europe and you know I think that's why you see some of those guys still coming over here having success. After playing overseas you also got involved in real estate you've coached in I believe middle school and high school talk about life after your playing days and some maybe some of the adjustments and what you were up to between then and now. Uh, well I got into real estate at my playing career uh, because I didn't feel that I wanted to continue to play as long as I wound up playing. You know, every year you come home, you're gone from your family for seven, eight months and not counting the breaks. You're thinking about what the next move is. And I had a friend of mine that was a mortgage banker at the time who convinced me that I needed to get into, you know, buying houses and flipping houses at the time, which was kind of becoming popular. So, you know, I took a chance on doing one and, you know, he kind of supervised me and kind of coached me up on how to handle it. And I did that. And still to this day, I still, you know, dibble and dabble and I don't have as much time as I once did, but I still kind of deal with dabbling in it. And, and while I was doing that, I had a friend of mine that was coaching at Episcopal Collegiate School here in Little Rock, and he talked me into coming down and kind of volunteering and helping him there. And that turned into a director of community relations job, as well as sixth grade, and eighth grade coach. And then before I knew it, I was helping him coach AAU and all these other things, because in my mind, I never really had any intentions on coaching. But once mm -hmm. I saw the impact I was able to have on some of the young people at that particular school, just kind of got immersed in it somewhat. And, you know, I stuck with it and was fortunate enough to go back to the U of A as a director of student athlete development. And I did that for six years. And after that, I was fortunate enough to when Coach Hanson decided to make me an assistant. Um, got an opportunity to sit on the bench. And I tell people all the time, I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to win the national championship as a player. But I'm more thankful that I coached in two NCAA tournaments in the NIT. And not many people, I think, can say that. You've accomplished a whole lot. You got your bachelor's degree from Philander Smith College, your master's degree in secondary education. Do you feel sometimes that shot maybe was a blessing and a curse sometimes? Do you feel maybe it overshadows some of your other accomplishments that you may have reached in your life? Uh, I think it does for fans of mine from basketball. But people that know me, people who've been around me all my life, they know that I'm a little bit more than just basketball. While I love the game and the game has done a lot for me, I also do take education seriously. I am, you know, kind of focused on the business world as well. And I just always believe in being more than just a student athlete. You know, I've always wanted to be well-rounded. And that's kind of what I try to share with my young people is that, you know, you don't want to be known for just one thing. At the end of the day, the ball's going to stop bouncing. The question then becomes, what else can you do? And you've mm -hmm. got to be able to process you've got to be able to have those soft skills that a lot of kids don't have today. Then you also got to be able to have the skills that are needed in terms of being able to go and go in and hide and ask some tough questions and be able to, at some point, hold down a job, whether that be teaching or being a lawyer or what have you. So I just try to encourage people, man, that you don't want to limit yourself. And that's something I've always taken pride in, is not, not limiting myself. Yeah. Well, in 2016, you became the assistant head coach under Mike Anderson. Tell us how that happened and what it meant to you to be back on the sidelines at the University of Arkansas? Oh, it meant everything. Uh, it, it was kind of like everything had come full circle. You know, you get the opportunity to play at a place, and very few people play at a place, and then get the opportunity to work there as, as a coach. And to be able to do it, it was something that I took great pride in, tried to do everything I could to help the program get back to the level that it was when I was a player there. And, yeah. you know, we had some success and really felt like we were on the cusp of being able to have more with the young guys that we had. But, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't get an opportunity to finish it out. But I still have, you know, no ill will. That's a place that I always have a tremendous amount of respect for. And not only for myself, but, you know, for the people that I've met there, that I work with this, this time around and that worked with me when I was a student athlete. So, you know, that's a place that is always going to be close to my heart, Fayetteville and U of A, just because it's done so much for me. And in essence, it's done so much for my family. Coach Mike Anderson, he recruited you back when you were 17 in Ruston, Louisiana. What has he meant to your life and what did it mean to you to present? Coach Anderson, the Burlesworth Legends Award. Oh man, it was it was special. Uh, Coach Anderson, someone I have a tremendous amount of respect for. You know, when I was a player at U of A, there was 
been going wrong. He was a person who I leaned on if I had any issues or concerns. I wanted to just get in the gym and get some shots up. You know, he was that person as well. He's someone who I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for, understanding where he came from to be where he is. You know, started off as a volunteer head coach and now he's had the opportunity to lead several different institutions and never had a losing season and been successful everywhere he's gone. But the one thing I know about Coach Anderson is that his work ethic is unparalleled and his approach to trying to help young people, you know, he goes above and beyond. That's something that I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for him, just knowing what, not only what he did for me, but that he continues to do it 25 years later. Presenting him to Brandon Berg with a war for me, man, that was that was big time. You know, I've had the opportunity to do that for a few people. As I mentioned, I was able to introduce Coach Richardson, but be able to do it for someone that you consider, you know, your direct mentor, you know, meant a lot. And it was really touching because I was able to share some things with him that he probably didn't even know that I paid close attention to all these years. And, you know, with the audience there, I think it was kind of sentimental for both he and I. Let's talk about this because you're currently the head coach at a school that has a winning tradition that goes back decades to legendary coach Ripley. Does that add any extra pressure to win for you at Parkview? Uh, not for me, but, you know, it's one of those things where I definitely don't take it lightly. Um, I've got a relationship with Coach Flanagan and his, and his kids and Wes Flanagan who played at Auburn with their friends. His son, Jason, who's the head coach at Holmes Community College. So I've had an opportunity to know Coach Flanagan for quite some time. And, you know, I realize that it is a lot of tradition there. Um, it's going to take a while probably to get it back to the level that it's been at. But I will say this, we're rolling our sleeves up and every day doing what we have to do in order to put it back in that position. You know, I know everybody wants to win now, and hey, even I do, but it takes a while to put the things in place that you have to to be able to be successful year in and year out. And my deal is I don't want to just be good one year. I want to be good right. every year. And, um, you know, we made the playoffs last year with a very, very young group. We got another young group this year. I've only returned. I got three seniors, a couple of juniors, and everybody else is basically sophomores. So we've got another young group. Uh, we had a great freshman class come in this year. So I'd like to think that here in the next year or two, you know, we're going to definitely be a program to be reckoned with. And once we take off, we're going to try to keep that momentum rolling. At the high school level, you have a chance to be more involved in the lives of your players as students, teaching them at a very pivotal point in their lives and shaping who they're going to become as people, not just players. What are some differences coaching college-age kids compared to high school age? Uh, I just think the conversations. You know, it's a lot different talking to a young man that is 19, 20 years old versus 14, 15, 16, and in some cases, 17. Distractions are different. Types of distractions, I should say, are different for these young people because most of them aren't driving, so they can't just go in and everywhere that they want, obviously with COVID and anyway. But, you know, I just think working with college kids, most of them are kind of already set in their ways. Whereas with a high school kid, you can work jointly with the parent because you're kind of in control of their fate, so to speak. So what I've tried to do is make sure that all of the parents understand that I'm a supporter of them and I expect for them to be a supporter of me. And all of that is in turn going to hopefully allow us to be able to assist their young people in the way that they should be. And my biggest thing is getting them to understand that basketball is a privilege and in high school you have the flexibility for young men not performing in the classroom you can just sit them in the bleachers whereas in college those conversations are a little bit different there seems to be a lot more at stake there's a lot more pressure to win so you kind of got to pick and choose your battles whereas in high school if a young man's not doing one thing that you want him to do you can kind of correct that right at that time and say you know what you didn't do well in this class is it because you didn't put forth the effort or because you don't understand the material. Either way, you have the ability to be able to get him to set up a meeting with that teacher before school or set up a meeting with that teacher at lunch or after school or even, which I've had to do before, take a kid out of practice and say, hey, you know what, since you can't get it done the way we need you to, go meet with the teacher right now. And I've met with teachers and I did something called uh, breakfast with the head coach where I basically appointed all of them to be assistant coaches so that everybody knows at the end of the day, basketball is not the only reason young people are here. It's not the only reason that I'm here. And I expect for them to conduct themselves in the right way. And I also expect for them to put forth the right effort in the classroom. And if the chips don't fall where they should, then we can discuss it at that time. But if the effort is not there, then there's really no discussion. It's just he just won't play. So commendable, especially in today's generation. It just seems like you said, everyone just wants to win. Uh, and a lot yeah. of the kids in athletics Athletics these days take a backseat personally in their lives. And so I really commend you for taking that approach. I will say this, Parkview's always had a reputation of having college prospects. Are there any standout players on 
your team right now that maybe some college coaches should keep an eye on? Well, we got a junior by the name of Cameron Wallace, 6'6", 180. He's already got an offer from Oral Roberts. He's definitely someone that our college coaches need to keep tabs on. I've got a point guard by the name of Keelan Harris, 6'1", senior. He's got the opportunity to play at the next level. We're really not sure yet if that's D1 or D2, but I think he's got the opportunity to play somewhere. And then I've got a plethora of freshmen. I've got 6'7", Dallas Thomas, who's going to be a high major kid, and everybody in the country should be already calling me about him. And then he's got several classmates. Chance Brown, who's about 6'3", 6'4", high flyer. Then I've got Jackson Yancey, 6'3", 6'4", really skilled as a ninth grader. I've got Jaden Miller, who's a 6'1", ninth grader, who can play multiple positions and guard multiple positions. So our future is very bright. How competitive are you, and does that competitiveness carry over to being a coach? Oh, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, most people know me as somebody who's soft-spoken, but I'm a little bit different when I coach my team and when I prepare my team in practice. So my volume can change, and now you got to coach in the mass, so it really has to change. You know, the trajectory of the boys has to go up even more. Uh, we've got a game next week, exhibition game versus Mariana, so my intensity has gone up several notches as we've gotten closer to the season. I remember back when I coached AAU basketball, and I really loved being around kids, but I started when I just stopped playing basketball at my intensity level i got a few technicals i'll just say that have you have you got any technicals yet <laughs> last year i got two uh one was warranted <laughs> the other one wasn't the other one was miscommunication between the two officials uh there was a play that um one of my players that stole the ball right there in midcourt in front of us the ball came to me referee called a foul. He went to the table to report the foul. At that time, the other ref summoned for me to pass him the basketball. So I passed the basketball back and it bounced because there were people walking that way. I didn't want to hit anybody. So mm-hmm. it bounced. Opposing team's player gets the ball, handed to the ref. The ref at the table then turns, sees I no longer have the ball, heard it bounce, turned and gave me a technical. <laughs> and I asked what was the technical for? He ran to the other end. So as he runs to the other end, the other ref comes up and I'm like, hey, is there an explanation? Why did I get the technical? He said, Coach, you got to take a seat. And I knew the ref. I said, I don't have a problem taking a seat. I just need to know why did I get the tech. So he's like, well, we're not going to give you an explanation. So I said, okay. He said, you got to have a seat. I said, well, I'll have a seat once you get ready to put the ball in play. And he said, no, you got to have a seat or we're going to have to call security. Oh, my gosh. So at that point, I said, well, hey, go ahead and call security. So so he called called security, and security comes out. They're like, Coach, we're not going to do anything. We just got to do our job. I said, well, I'm not even upset. I'm just trying to find out what's going on. So at that time, the referee was sent to the baseline, came back, and he immediately said, ball game. Next thing I know, there's an article in the paper paper that I took my team off the floor. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, there's definitely some egos in referees. It's not just players. It goes hand in, because I also refereed high school basketball for and in fact i gave a technical the very first high school game i ever (laughs) officiated so i have seen it on both sides neither wants to be showing up and it sounds like you got one of those type (laughs) what's the one you did deserve uh the one that i did deserve i was kind of talking to my team but i made sure that the referee heard me so i said that's okay he's missed a few of them tonight he'll get the next (laughs) guy had guy had rabbit ears that their tech so i took the tech and we went on and won the game though so <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> coach Richardson, he embodied 40 minutes of hell. So how much of that influences how you coach and your team's emphasis at Parkview? Last year, we tried to implement a lot of that. But, you know, I got here in July. School started in August, so I didn't get an opportunity really to spend the amount of time working on it that I wanted to. Whereas this year, you know, we had a summer program where they allowed us to get back in the gym on June 1st. So we've kind of built up all the way to this point to be able to implement some of those things. You know, we won't be able to probably do it all, but we definitely will have some of that frenetic pace, you know, wreaking havoc defensively, pushing the ball up the floor, trying to score fast and picking people up. We definitely will be doing some of that. Well, which do you enjoy more? Which gives you more fulfillment, I should say, being a player or being a coach? Uh, right now, I'd have to say being a coach because, you know, I've had a chance to be involved with so many young men. And, you know, when you really see the impact that you've had on them and they come back and they see you or, you know, they reach out to you and check in with you, there's really no better feeling than knowing that you had a positive impact on some young people. And when you yeah. get that confirmation 
them. It's huge. Just like last weekend, I had Mason Jones, one of my former guys, and Khalil Garland both come to the gym and speak to my team and talk to me and gave me a little love. And, you know, sometimes you realize that that's what it's all about. That's what you're doing it for. Speaking of Mason Jones, we've had him on the show as well. And Isaiah Joe, good decision or not to go to the draft early? Where do you see them going in the draft or their future? What does that look like in your opinion? I mean, I'm hearing second round for both. But here recently, I've heard that Isaiah may be sneaking into the first Mason is still, from what I'm hearing, second. I think both of those guys did what was best for them. You know, whether or not it's a good or bad decision, I think that can only be dictated down the line in terms of how it turns out. But I think both of those guys are definitely pro prospects and should be definitely considered to make a roster next year. Isaiah shoots it extremely well and can do a lot of other things that probably didn't get a lot of credit for doing. But at the next level, they'll get a chance to see. And Mason Jones, I can't express how proud I am of him just knowing his story and where he came from. Um, and mm-hmm. to see him be in the position as SEC player of the year and now have an opportunity to go in the draft. So I'm just pulling for both of those guys to land with the right team that gives them a shot and allows them to grow and take the bumps and the bruises and hopefully go on and be big-time pros. This is something I've wanted to ask you about, too, because there's been a lot of talk about possible changes to the game of basketball, such as extending the three-point line or raising the height of the rim from 10 feet to 11 feet. Are these good or bad, and what changes would you want to see happen to the game in the future and i think they should just leave it as it is um yeah i didn't defensive three seconds originally but i like it now but as far as changing the the height of the basket or extending the three-point line i think they should just leave it alone i think the game has grown and it's getting better over time and i think the more changes you implement the more it takes getting used to for the players so i would just say that if the ncaa or the nba is considering making change i think they should have a sit down with some of the players or at least some of the player reps from either each school or each franchise in the NBA to allow them to have some input on it because it's kind of difficult when the powers that be, most of them never played and they're making all of these decisions that could determine not only the outcome of the game, but the direction that the game's going. So I just think it needs to be a conglomerate of people sitting down talking and trying to figure out what needs to take place. But I definitely do not want to see the basket heightened. I just don't think that makes much sense because most players grew up all their life shooting on a 10-foot basket. The moment mm-hmm. you change it a foot, Student percentages go down, and then now the fans don't want to watch it. Right. You don't know me like that. This is a part in our show where we try to get to know you on a personal level. It's kind of a quick answer kind of thing. So we're going to ask you some things here real quick. What was your first pet that you ever had? A dog. A chihuahua named Trixie. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> what was your first job? Uh, working with Job Corps painting houses. Nice. Okay. First car. First car, 1991 Grand Am. My mom had a Grand Am. I loved that car. I used to sneak it out when she didn't. I loved that car. (laughs) Let's do this. Your favorite childhood toy. Favorite childhood toy. I had a bunny. I used to call it Bugs. My grandmother gave my head it all the way up until like the eighth grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Elias, he still sleeps with a, a stuffed animal, I think, right? That's, that's personal information. That's <laughs> I got to ask you this, too, because every uh, basketball or even coaching related we ask, we always ask everybody this. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Oh, Michael Jordan, without hesitation. We're still 100%. 100% Michael Jordan. On holidays, your favorite holiday, Christmas or Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Do you have any holiday traditions for Thanksgiving or Christmas, maybe? Not really. I'm like everybody else, man. Eat and watch sports. That's pretty much it. Spend yeah. time with the family. What was your favorite Christmas gift as a kid? Favorite Christmas gifts. Uh, let's see. When I got my first stereo, my first music stereo. I remember that too. <laughs> Favorite Christmas movie? A Christmas Carol. That, is that the Scrooge? Yeah, that's the yeah, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell us what you want this year for Christmas. We're going to send a letter to Santa for you. <laughs> A state championship. Good. Good answer. <laughs> hey, I want to know this, too, because a lot of people, they don't know about your wife and that you've got some kids. Tell us about your wife, Regina, and your kids and your family. Well, my wife, she was a member of the Palm Squad and Chilling Squad at the U of A. So when I was making baskets, she was on the sideline cheering for me. Yeah. Uh, she's a physical medicine and rehab doc. And then I have a son who's 26 that works for the SEC office that lives in Birmingham, Alabama. And he has, he and his fiance have provided me with two grandkids, Isaiah and Roman. Yeah. And then I have a daughter who's going to be 16 on tomorrow. And she's an aspiring student athlete, volleyball. 
basketball player. She started off as a track athlete. She was good at basketball, but she's found a new calling in volleyball. And it appears as though she's going to be a big time recruit. I'm not experienced enough in volleyball to speak on it, but that's what everybody tells me. Did she inherit some of your competitiveness? Uh, no question. She's extremely competitive and loves to work at the game. And she also loves to lift weights and try to get stronger. So she's got the requirements that are necessary to hopefully fulfill her dreams, but still got a little work to do. Well, we are so thankful for you being on the show today. If you will, let everyone know how they can find out more information about your Parkview basketball team or maybe yourself. Man, you can follow me on Twitter at Rustin Rifle. And then we also have a Little Rock Parkview basketball page. So go on Twitter and search for that. You should be able to find it. In the past few years, it hasn't been a lot. We started it back up last year with a little bit of information, and this year we'll be coming full force with a lot of different interviews and picks and different things so people can kind of keep track of the program. We're definitely going to be rooting you on. I'm going to keep an eye on you on those sidelines, too, for those technicals. (laughs) (laughs) We are so thankful for you being here today, Scotty, and we wish you much success there at Parkview, and God bless you in all that you do. You and your family. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you, Scotty. You guys take care. Thank you so much, Scotty Thurman. Man, Johnny, I've been pumping up these uh, Reebok pumps the whole time he was talking. I'm, I'm ready to go play some ball, man. Oh, man, I remember those. You used to pump them up beforehand. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. I like to wear one black one and one white one. If you don't get that, go back and listen to the monologue. Why did you skip the monologue and go straight to the interviews? Come on, people. Hey, a special thanks to to Dead and Buried Inc. That's, uh, that's our sponsor for the episode, and we really appreciate those guys. And also a, sp- a special thank you and shout out to Rick Viper, the man with the golden voice, the one you hear saying, and a man that, blo-, you know, he's got the big voice. <laughs> hey, guys, and until we come back to you next week, be sure to subscribe to the podcast as soon as it ends, because you'll be notified when each new podcast is released. And plus, it helps us to continue to bring you some new episodes each and every week with some big name guests. Yep. Remember to like it. Tag us when you do it. Share it with other people. Why would you tag us? you say. Well, I'll tell you why, because that immediately lets us know to put your name into the drawing for a brand new spanking. Well, it's not spanking. It's not going to spank it. It's just going to clothe you. It's a t-shirt. It's a Life and Laughs podcast t-shirt. Sales might jump up, actually, for that, man. They- <laughs> Listen, whatever you're into, whatever you're into. Hey, add us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search Life and Laughs Podcast. And Elias, until our next episode, remember to live life. Love everybody. Wait a minute, was that right? Yes. Oh, love love everybody. And And laugh laugh always. always. Hey, Johnny, pass me the rock. All right, man, catch and catch. Not a real rock, man. Come on. Ow! <laughs> oh, my bad, man. My bad. <laughs>